We're thankful for the blessing and privilege to get to be with you all today. Uh, thankful that the Bylers have the opportunity to be able to be with family on such a special occasion. And for the time of, it's not going to be cool refreshing from what I understand up north, but a time of refreshing. But also for the opportunity and privilege for us to get to be with you all. We have come to love you. We pray for you regularly. And thankful for the testimony of this church, the testimony of many of you that we have gotten to know and getting to know. As we sang that song, He Keeps Me Singing, doesn't matter if you have a voice like mine or a voice that somebody would enjoy hearing. There ought to be a song on our heart all the time. And really, when we realize that there's not a song on our heart, that's one of the first check engine lights that should be coming on, that we need to check and see what's wrong, that we need to take care of things. But verse 3, sandwiched there in the middle of that Oreo cookie, feasting on the riches of His grace, resting neath His sheltering wing, always looking on His smiling face, that is why I shout and sing. What a good summary of our Sunday school lesson this morning on that matter of complaining. It's that relationship with God, that relationship with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not traditions, it's not formalities, it's not what the world wants to bring forward. It's that relationship with God. If you would this morning, please turn to John chapter 8. We are very grateful. We know that a number of you pray for us and are praying for us. We're grateful for that. Uh, God has been so gracious toward us just in his work in our lives to teach and to mold in our lives. It's humbling when you stop and to think on those things. Several have asked if we're settled in to our house yet. We are in our house. Uh, we're ripping up inside and out. Our son Benjamin made the comment, Dad, welcome back to home ownership with the surprises that come along the way. And we remember that they're not surprises to God. And that's where we need to make sure, again, going back, complaining has no place in the life of a Christian. And that matter of humbling our hearts before God and being able to truly give thanks. We're going to be looking at a portion this morning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And really, the Sunday school lesson was one that I felt like a refreshing hose was turned on this morning of instruction, of challenge, of reproof, rebuke of encouragement, because it is a matter of our heart and that right relationship with God. And as we're looking this morning at this portion of our Lord's earthly ministry and how he dealt with some situations, one of the things that we need to really strive for in our lives as we look at the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is to have that gracious spirit, that compassionate heart, and godly boldness. One of the reasons we fall into complaining, and you say, oh, we don't complain, we complain. One of the greatest complaints that I hear among Christians really falls back on the matter of our government, our society, and the political arena of what's going on. And we say, well, we're just stating the facts. If you listen to the frequency of the conversation, the voice that's said and the words being said, usually there's an amount of complaining that's involved within it. And we lose sight of the fact that God is in control. God does hold the heart of the king in his hand. One of the things that we fall short on is the matter of the compassion and the boldness that we need. We don't have the gracious spirit. We don't have the compassion heart. We like to blow people out of the water. That's a matter of pride. And the pride is what creates that stumbling block and that confusion in our lives we're going to read just a few verses, but we're going to be looking at a broader portion of John chapter 8 here, putting it into the context. But if you would, in John chapter 8, turn to verse 30 with me, please, and follow along. This is regarding to Jesus. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word... Then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to be here today. Thank you for this very comfortable and the safe place that we have to be able to gather for the purpose of worshiping thee. And Father, we realize that we worship thee through the singing, through the time of prayer and giving, through the fellowship one with another, and now through the hearing of thy word. We thank you that we have your word that's forever settled in heaven. We have it here in our hands and translated into our language. Father, I pray that you'd help me to be uh, a clear vessel to communicate thy word in such a way that thy spirit would be able to take it and use it for the heart, the need of each heart that is here today, because we are a needy people. And we pray that through this, Father, that you would receive the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. Some of you may know I'm a horticulturist that I went to school to Clemson studying horticulture, and that was my first career before we left to go to the mission field. I still love horticulture. I still love landscaping. I still love gardening. And there's a garden program that comes on 680. I haven't figured out yet what time it comes on on Saturday morning. I'm used to early morning garden programs. Uh, but yesterday I turned the radio on running an errand about 8 o'clock to see if it was coming on yet. And it wasn't. It was CBS Weekend News Roundup. When I turned it on, they were interviewing uh, a woman that is one of the multitude of Democratic wannabe candidates for president. I didn't hear what her name was. They were in the process of interviewing her, though. And, you know, she has everything, the answer for everything with the Green New Deal and socialism, and we just need to love one another. And that's very much what she was saying the whole way through in the part of the interview that was being done. At the end of the interview, the woman doing the interviewing said, are you saying that everybody needs to read, the name of the book was Something Miracles or Miracles Something. Evidently, it was a book that she had written. This woman's response was very telling. She said, not at all. That's like telling a Christian they have to read the New Testament or a Jew that they have to read the Torah. That has nothing to do with it at all. It's just that we need to all come to this point. But what she's uh, clearly not a Christian, but what she said was very telling that there's no need to read the Word of God. Yet, where does faith come from? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's not by our own feelings or our own emotions, it's not by what somebody else has said. Yet, that's the chicken noodle soup that a lot of people have been eating for a lot of years that we don't need to be reading God's Word, that we don't need to know God's Word. And here we have an account of the living word here upon the earth in his earthly ministry. In the process of ministering, he dealt with this matter of his word. And I want to bring us up to the point so we have an understanding of those to whom he was speaking. And in the beginning of the chapter, we have the account of the men that had brought the woman taken in adultery and brought her before Jesus in order to have her judged and also to have Jesus caught in what they thought would be caught into a trap to try to create confusion for him. And what they did was picked one that was a pet sin, you know, one that's so wicked, so horrible to try to bring forward. And we face the same thing today, even within churches. We have pet sins, don't we? The sins that we say, oh, that's the worst sin. That one, that's the one, no, we don't want to be involved. We don't want to get involved with anybody that's involved in that lifestyle. We don't want to get involved with anybody that has that going on. Yet, for whom did Jesus die? For all men. For the sins of all men. That there is no such thing as one that is worse than the other. And there are those that will try to trick us up when we're witnessing in our lives today that will ask questions to try to create a stumbling block for us. When we were in Canada... The matter of homosexuality was unfortunately a bit more pressed than it is in the States, but we're about equal now, if not going to pass them. And doing Bible studies with university students, guys, every single university student that I did a Bible study with somewhere along the way asked me about homosexuality. And many others in public would. What do you think about homosexuality? Truth is, you didn't know if they were asking out of sincere desire to know what God's, what I thought is really what they're saying, 
or as a trap to try to ensnare me to get me in trouble with the government and to get us into trouble. And bottom line is it doesn't matter what I think about it, except that's what I'll answer to God for. What does God's word say about it? And then go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and verses 9 and 10 list a number of sins. And nobody can say I've never been covetous and be honest. Nobody can say I've never been an idolater in any way and be honest. But clearly the homosexuality is identified there. But the key is, and such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. And that's where we need to be going to. And that's what Jesus did here with this woman and with those men that had brought her to him. And as he dealt with her, first of all, he was dealing with the conviction of the hearts. As we read in that account, he didn't get into an argument with the men. He didn't get into a debate with the men. And I believe that one of the reasons that God chose not to even let us know what it was that Jesus was drawing or riding in the ground there is that wasn't the important thing. It was the matter of dealing with the sin, whatever it was. It was the word of God that brought conviction upon the hearts of those men. Unfortunately, they did not repent. They turned and walked away one by one by one. The woman is the only one that we see any indication that she repented and believed and got saved uh, in this. And he spoke to those who were around him. If you look down in verse 12, he said, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That matter of following doesn't just mean physically following along the trail that he was walking on. And those that he spoke to in the verses that we're going to be looking at in a little more detail here were literally following him in that way. But what he was talking about here was the matter of to be in the same way, to be doing the same thing that I'm doing. It literally is going back to that matter, that changed heart, that you're following me, that your life is following the instruction and the teaching of my life that there's a change that has taken place. The Pharisees rejected, but there were many that went along and followed. And as we see on down in verse 30, God's word records for us after, we don't have time to go through all the instruction here, because, and that's not our focus this morning. But as Jesus spake these words, many believed on him. As they heard the word of God, it says that many of them believed on him. But a matter of it is, what did they believe? What took place in their hearts and their minds and their lives at that time? One of the instructions that it gives to us here for our lives today, do you ever witness to people and you walk away discouraged because it seems like nothing took place? Not even sure they really heard what was said or they wanted to argue and to debate the whole time and Hopefully, you were very careful to not get caught into debate. Hopefully, you were very careful to not get caught into arguing. What did Jesus do through all this? He was not debating them, was he? He was speaking the word of God. And it's the same for us today when we're in the process of life, when we're living, when we're communicating with people. It's not a matter of getting caught into a debate but it's communicating the word of God to them. That requires that we guard our hearts with compassion and a gracious spirit. Because when we drop the compassion part, we get into the debating and the striving part. And we're not to strive about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. When we start striving, when we start debating, we've brought it into our own power and not trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to be doing that working that needs to be going on. So as he spake these words, many believed on him. And as we're going to see, they believed, but not to a saving uh, grace, saving faith. And in the process, as we talk to people and witness to people, and they say they're believing, and you walk away and you know they did not get saved, that they don't have that understanding, how should we respond? With thanksgiving? with rejoicing, that God opened the opportunity to give the word 
and then praying that the Spirit of God would bring those words back to their remembrance, that the Spirit of God would bring the conviction upon the heart of that individual. We all know that there's a great challenge today with this easy believism, easy prayerism that so many are trying to push for. There is not that transformation that takes place in the heart. So as he spoke these words to them, many believed on him. But they noticed Jesus went on speaking to them. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And this is where we really start getting into the crux of what we want to be looking at this morning. After it said that many believed on him, he continued in the matter of instruction, that matter of discipleship. And that's what he's talking about here, uh, the matter of what is discipleship. He began immediately to instruct those that had begun to believe it's critical for us that we come to understand what it really truly means to believe. First, he cautioned these newly professed believers not to have confidence in their feelings. He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Notice he didn't tell them that it was just a matter of feelings, everything's taken care of, now go ahead and live as you want to live. Uh, Go find the church of your choice and be there on every Sunday to be there for the services. But he began to give them deeper instruction into the word of God. He cautioned them strongly. God knows the hearts of all men, and Jesus, as God, knew the hearts of these men. We don't know the hearts of individuals, do we, when we're talking to them? All we see is the fruit, the evidence of the outward appearance. But the part that we can be diligent in is the continuation of seeking to teach them in God's word. And because he knew the hearts and that has to be based upon God's word, he led to that matter of discipleship. You know, the word disciple, which means uh, somebody that is being taught, is used more for what we call Christians today. Disciple is used more in the New Testament than any other term. It's used more than believer, more than Christian. Uh, If I remember correctly, even more than the term saint, one that is being taught. So they professed that they believed, And he turned to them and said, if you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So often, when somebody makes a profession of salvation, what happens in the relationship and in the instruction? We want to get them in the church, get them baptized, join the church as quickly as possible, right? That's the way many practice. When we were... In Canada, we came back every so often, and there was a Christian businessman with a heart for God that is enormous. He's with the Lord now, but an enormous heart. While we were on deputation, uh, he offered to put new tires on our car, and he ended up flushing the transmission. I mean, all this stuff for us. And the only stipulation was that I sit in his waiting room and witness to his customers that came in during that time. And each time we'd come back, he would service our car for us. We came back one time, and he wanted to take me to breakfast while they were working on the car. And he said, you know, your problem is you're too careful. You need to just get people to join the church, whether they're saved or not. Once they're in the church and working, they'll hear the word of God, and they'll get saved. He was sincere. It was what he had been wrongly taught. It's what he believed with his heart. He'd wrongly been taught these things. Uh, And the way that many of us still practice those, when somebody makes a profession of salvation, we try to be so careful that we don't offend or scare them away, that we don't ask questions of them, that we just encourage them along the path that they're going. If we see something in their life that they need to be instructed, we don't want to offend them when we just go along. No, what did Jesus do? He began with a question immediately, and the question really was bringing them to a confrontation. Did you really get saved? He said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So as he turned to them, he asked them a question that brought them to a confrontation in their own hearts and in their own minds, something that they couldn't get away from. And he brought them to the point of judging in their own heart, did you truly get saved? So he said, if you continue, then or literally accordingly, uh, there's an indication that you got saved. 
But he did it with patience. And he did it with compassion. Just because we ask questions doesn't mean that we can't have compassion with an individual. But then bringing it back to our own lives, when somebody asks you a question, do you automatically bristle up? How dare they ask me that question? If somebody says something, I ask, you know, and from Scripture with the right heart, you automatically bristle up. But when he asked them the question, they answered him, and their answer gave a great deal of understanding of where they were in verse 33. It says, they answered him, We be Abraham's seed. We were never born in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? See, as he asked the question, if ye continue in my word, as he asked the question, they bristled up. What was the answer that they really gave right there? They'd never repented, had they? They had never come to that point in their heart, in their life, of repenting. They had never made the turn to God from sin, so they couldn't have believed by faith. They believed with only the head knowledge. They were beginning to justify their lifestyle. They were beginning to justify why they could continue where they were. And then in verse 39, they answered and said unto Jesus again, Abraham is our father. They identified themselves, didn't they? Just as we heard in Sunday school this morning, who was it that they were turning to looking for help? They were turning to Moses for help, not to God. We see the same thing happening here. What happens when we're talking to people today? A man that I was talking to just a couple of weeks ago, faithful to church services, uh, and I asked about his salvation. Uh, You know, when did you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? I was born into a Christian family, and I've always been. And I'm just growing in my relationship and my faith. Now, let me ask you, is that a saved man? No, it is not. So then, how should we respond in a situation like that? Just act like everything is normal, fine, okay, no problems? No. Get out the hammer and hit him over the head? No. Neither one of those but to instruct through God's word to help him to come to understand that there has never been that point of repentance. And here the Jews, their hearts were going harder and harder each time that they answered, but they identified themselves that they had not become a son of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus, but they identified themselves as being a follower of a man, follower of Abraham. In verse 44, Jesus said, You're of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. As he spoke to them, he did not compromise in the least in order to keep a peace about them, but he spoke the truth, didn't he? He identified who they were. If they got angry with him by that point, that was uh, just further evidence of their own wicked hearts. But he showed his own gracious spirit, his own compassionate heart, and that boldness of identifying to them who they are. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus had compromised at that point, what would have the results have been? Well, for one thing, we wouldn't have God's word today, would we? To give us instruction. For another thing, it would have sealed them all the more, and they could have pointed a finger and said, you did not deal with my heart on these things. Uh, we've moved into a new house, a new neighborhood, and some wonderful neighbors Except for the street number sign, the next most prevalent sign in our neighborhood is thank you Jesus sign in the fronts of houses. And it's, to me, it's kind of like driving down the road and you see a sign that says John 3.16. We know what that means, don't we? Does a lost person know what that means? Nothing. makes some people have a good feeling because they know it's a Bible verse, but they don't know what it means. The same as that thank you Jesus And so often we see these and we want to treat people and say, well, they're a Christian. You know, we don't want to go any farther with them. Instead of with the right heart, not given to compromise, but with the right heart, asking questions. And when we're talking with neighbors, when we're talking maybe even with people within this body right here that may not truly be saved, and we come to a point and the 
Holy Spirit has given you that, understand your heart. There's something not right here. Instead of with the right heart going ahead and asking the questions, or with the right heart saying, well, God's word says this, we compromise, don't we? And we back off instead of continuing to be faithful. Secondly, one of the things that we see here, and this really gives a warning for our own lives, as well as when we're witnessing to others, we see the character of the believers. Remember in verse 3 it said that they believed, many believed on him. Those that Jesus was talking to here, many that said they believed on him. But we see that they were, they were argumentative, no humility whatsoever, no teachable spirit. That's a warning sign for us from several perspectives. First, in your own life, if you know that you're saved, but you come to a point you're ready to argue like this, oh, brother, it's just debating. It's just a good debate. (laughs) Now, let's be honest, it's arguing. If you come to the point that you realize that you're not teachable because everything you hear being taught, you're being critical and cynical of. Instead of taking the time, is this what God's word says? And then apply it to the heart. Okay, so there's the first warning pointed back to us individually at first. When you realize that spirit's developing in your life, that's a time you need to stop and to repent and ask God to forgive you. Really need to identify what is the root of bitterness that's caused you to come to that point so you can take care of the root and go back and to take care of that root of bitterness to be able to go on forward. But then as we talk to others and we sense that uh, argumentativeness and that teachability, it really gives us an understanding then of how to pray and how to approach, but to not to give false securities. And then secondly, as Jesus spoke to them, he was using the word of God. As they were speaking back, they never used God's word whatsoever. I was talking with a pastor this week. Uh, she's a widow. She's a pastor of a church in a denomination that does not believe that you can, that you have eternal security of salvation, that you can lose your salvation. And in talking to her, she said something that really came to a point that, hmm, do I say shut up or do I say something? I didn't, we don't want to argue. But to go to God's word and to bring God's word, well, God's word says this. The response that kept coming back is, I believe. He said, but I really believe. And by God's grace, I tried to answer it with what God's word says. And then she said, I believe. These people believed here. That's what verse 30 says, that many believed. And then come back, what does God's word say? That's the foundation. What does the word of God say? And... I don't know for sure if she's saved or not. God knows her heart. Uh, But the bottom line, there are things that are of concern there. And bottom line, she said, well, we just have to disagree on this point. Uh, My perspective is you're disagreeing with God's word. You're not disagreeing with me. But here as Jesus was responding to them, the instruction for us in our lives today is we're seeking uh, to evangelize that we be faithful not to get caught into the debates, but bringing forth God's word. And here is the, what he brought before them that they got so upset about. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. He established a scenario here that he's saying, under the condition, in the case of literally, if you continue in my word, uh, then there's going to be proof, there's going to be an evidence that something has taken place. And that word of continuing in my word literally means to stay, to abide, to remain right there in the word of God. And it wasn't in teachings. He said it's in my word, in the word of God. And we understand from John 12, verse 48, Jesus said, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. It is God's word, spoken word, written word, that's going to be used for judging. So it's that continuance in God's word that is a mark of salvation. It's not a condition of salvation. It's the mark of salvation. How is it in your life are you really striving to continue in God's word? And that's where it's so critical that we be reading God's word on a daily basis. 
and making the application for it into our hearts, into our lives. Jesus said, recorded in Matthew 10, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Some say, aha, there's the proof that you have to be working. It's, that continues a matter of working. No, it's the result of salvation. It's the result of being born again. That there's that continuance that's taking place. Uh, that it's not the condition of it, but it's the result of salvation. Then we realize that Scripture is clear to us that not all that believe in, is believing unto salvation. Uh, believing by faith but not the believing that produces a matter of works that takes place. If you would look over to John chapter 14 and verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. And don't worry about turning to these other two passages, but I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And 1 John 3.24, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given to us. That word keepeth, he that keepeth or he that does not keep. That word that keeps literally means to guard by keeping the eye on. The one that keeps God's commandment, the one that's guarding it in their heart and life by keeping their eye upon it. So the matter of this believing... uh, here, if you continue my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. It literally means that you're guarding it by keeping your eye on the word of God. It's a result of the salvation that has taken place. Then are ye my disciples indeed are literally the ones that are being taught, the ones that are teachable, uh, that are able to be a learner. Let me ask you this morning, do you enjoy learning the things of God? Or is it weighty? Is it a challenge? Is it a pain to you to have to try to learn the things of God? That's another indication of the question that Jesus asked right here. If it's something that you're having to work harder and harder and harder to do. Uh, And, you know, I feel like this morning's Sunday school lesson, I really do, brother, that it was the foundation for so much of our Christian lives. And it's the foundation even for where we come right here. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. That we have such a love for the word of God after we've been born again, that we desire to know it, that there's that desire to be, to be a learner, to be growing in the th- things of God. And he said, indeed, that it's such a truth that nothing can change it whatsoever. It's an essential thing for us. Um, we have forsaken for the matter of debating, of arguing. We have just forsaken this tenderness. Uh, and my concern, my burden this morning as I'm even trying to work through this, as we see the circumstances and the situations within our nation today, so many Christians are looking to the nation to correct everything, just as Israel was looking to Moses to feed them, to provide the protection for them. So many, even independent Baptist churches, are so involved in politics and the political arena of trying to get things turned around and going. Um, I am very thankful that God has given us the peace that he has given to us. I'm very thankful that through the president that's in the office right now that we have seen a continuation of prosperity. And as I speak this, it's with the understanding, the fear we're instructed that we're to be praying for those that are in positions of leadership over us. It's with the understanding that God holds the heart of the king in his hand. But one of the articles I read this week um, was quoting with asterisks, but of our president using the name of our God in vain as he was talking to other people. That's not God's blessing. God cannot bless that particularly. And it has to be through us. 
our joy and our peace, if we're going to be a light in this world, has to be completely separated from what's going on in this world. And we're caught up so much with complaining what's taking place in the political arena, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus was giving the instruction here to us, not just to those that were following him, but to us as well as he was speaking this. He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So the basis that's established here, are you continuing, are you abiding, are you remaining in the word of God? And if you're not, what is the sin that's holding you back? Is it regarding the matter of salvation or is there, you're saved, but there is sin that is holding you back? But this, verse 32, is the promise, the hope that's given to us, just as God had promised that he was going to provide for the needs of Israel as they came out. And God was working through those situations, as we heard this morning, to develop their relationship with him. The same truth that is for us here today. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's a freedom from being caught up in the things of this world. There's a freedom that gives us a peace and a joy that the world cannot understand. We had somebody ask us the other day, Jennifer and I did, and it was being asked in absolute sincerity. I heard that Rick Warren is a false teacher. How can we trust? And somebody that's struggling with the matter of salvation in their own life. And we look at Joel Oldstein with a big smile pasted across his face. Uh, there was a man in Kingston that I met doing door-to-door visitation. The only person that ever invited me in. I don't know if he got saved or not. There was a lot from uh, being in Iraq in the military that had scarred him and he had PTSD issues, uh, had lived a very, very vile life and he'd gone to an emerging type church and there are a lot of things gave indication he truly got saved but he was never under sound teaching. But he was talking about after he got saved, How? I mean this is a big guy, uh, tall big guy, that they passed him over everybody's heads like this up toward the front after he got saved. And the enthusiasm and the excitement that came. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, he said. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That matter of what does it mean to know the truth, it means to literally have it as such a part of your life that that is what controls your thinking which means that's what also controls your thoughts. That means as we're growing in this aspect, as we hear the events that are taking place in the news, as we hear the events going on around the world, as we hear the deceitfulness and the lies that's going on with uh, our elected officials, rather than immediately getting caught up in the humdrum and the oh me and the hopelessness of what's taking place, that our eyes, because we know the truth, that that's where our focus goes. Our focus doesn't go fixed on Fox News or Drudge Report or whatever it is that you use for a news source. But as we read and hear these things, it goes straight back to, and you shall know the truth, the truth of God's Word. And then I'm going to base my life upon that. What does God's Word say? In the last days perilous times shall come, and shall be, men shall be lovers of, them, of their own selves covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, the list of what we see in our society today. And as we hear that, to be able to say, praise God, my God knows these events. My God's already told me these things are going to take place. How is it that he wants me to be served and using him in this life today? So you shall know the truth. There's that something that cannot be moved whatsoever. And the result of that, and the truth shall make you free. Literally, the working of God's truth is what sets us free from the power of sin and from the curse of this world. We see a progression that takes place to get us to this point. First of all, that we have to continue in the Word of God and know God's Word, and then we're going to be made free. But what is it that we're made free from? It's not the riches and prosperity gospel. It's not even made free from the conflicts of this world. It doesn't mean that we're made free from 
health issues, from challenges. Uh, we are very thankful for the house that we bought. I mean, we really are. It, we felt like it was home before we ever moved into it. And we weren't in it a month before I was bailing water out from under the house in rain. So meant ripping shrubs out and an unfinished project out front. We don't have an ice maker in our refrigerator, and one of the reasons we've never had one, why I had one more thing to go wrong. And we've always heard about how the ice makers sometimes will leak and cause problems. And so we didn't have an ice maker, but our house has the valve that went bad in the wall for the ice maker, so all the floors are being ripped up and new floors being put in uh, the house. And you say, well, you know, how can all these things happen? We live in a world that's decaying, that's falling apart. And it's easy for us to say, well, you know, I had planned to do this and this and this and this and this first. No, God's time is perfect. So what is it that we come back to is letting the truth make us free. So what is it that we're made free from? First of all, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what is it we're made from? First of all, we're made free from the blinding power of Satan. First of all, as we look at that matter of the blinding power of Satan, don't be surprised when a blind man can't see. When somebody that's not saved can't see, don't be surprised. Don't be aghast at it. Allow that to be a reason really to increase your thankfulness to God for His working in your heart and to ask God to help you with a greater compassion. So we're saved from the blinding power of Satan. Have you ever looked straight into lights to the point that you were blinded when you turned away and you couldn't see anything? We can do the same thing as Christians. We can keep looking at the working of Satan, at the working of wickedness to the point that we become blinded and we can't see the freedom. We can't see the joy and the peace that God has for us in our lives. So that when you know the truth and the truth making you free, first of all, you're freed from that blinding power of Satan. And then Ephesians 4, verse 18, if you turn over there, please. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Literally, we're freed from the darkness of spiritual death. But notice what he said here, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them through the blindness of their heart. Yet Christians allow themselves to become blinded again. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. If you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What happens to so many professing Christians? The same thing that happens to many parents. Instead of continuing to look at the word of God, we start looking at our children or the world around us. I'm thankful. I'm older than Pastor Webb or Pastor Byler, so I'm not saying this is uh, them being older men than me, but they are older men. I'm thankful to see two older men that are still standing faithful to the Word of God. It grieves my heart to see the number and the majority, when I say the number, of men that in our earlier years were sound men, but instead of continuing to grow, came to the point of being deceived by some of the, let's get bigger, you know, the universal church type teaching. But now also to the point that because their children have gone off in another direction, all of a sudden they're embracing and accepting and trying to justify those directions and bring them into their church. So what's happened, it's really a picture of what's taking place here. They've lost 
the freedom that comes to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've been enslaved with the blindness, the darkness that comes from uh, false teaching, which ultimately is rooted with Satan and the rebelliousness of the men. They have not lost their salvations. I am not indicating that whatsoever. But it's an indication of a warning for each one of us that we have to continue daily if any one of us lives to be 90 years old, and I hope the rapture is long before that, but if any of us were to live to be 90 years old, to continue daily, or we run the risk, though we will not lose our salvation, of losing the vision, the sight to be able to see, and we're going to lose the freedom that was intended for us in Christ Jesus. For us in our own lives, just having come to where we are in understanding of Scripture, uh, for a few years now. But the, when I talked with Pastor Webb, one of the things I could say is, I don't know what else to say, but it's liberating. A younger man that we know has come to the same understanding, and he said, the only thing I can say is it's liberating to have understood getting out of the universal church mindset, uh, the things that are going on around that, to what does Scripture teach about the local church. And it's just a manifestation of the truth that we're looking at here. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you want to be freer than you are today? You can be by continuing on in the Word of God. But turn to Romans 6, verses 16 and 17, please. We can be free from the power and the bondage that comes with the consequences of sin. Romans 6, beginning verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. For the one that will continue in the word of God, continue growing, continuing in the obedience, the abiding in God's word, regardless how old you are, then there's the freedom uh, from that bondage. And as we heard in Saint School this morning, also when we're continuing in God's word, we understand that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And we don't need to go back there anymore. And lastly, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The one that continues in the word of God is freed from the fear of man. And that's where many of us abide today. We're fearful of men. It's one of the reasons that we're given to compromise in different things. It's one of the reasons we're given to coldness. And it's really one of the reasons that we're given to a failure, every one of us, I would imagine, in here, of evangelizing as continually as we ought to be evangelizing. As we, search, as we study the New Testament church, the dispersions that were taking place, and we read how faithful they were, we've been dispersed in many ways, but how faithful are we? We're dispersed through our jobs. We're dispersed through daily living. So Jesus had this body that was following him. He had shown that godly compassion, uh, the gracious heart. He'd shown the boldness as he was faithful with God's word. These people had seen him, they had seen the miracles perform, and they believed on him. But when he turned to them and he said, not in a harsh way, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. First of all, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? As I look out across the body, I know, I believe everybody here has made a profession of salvation. But do you know for sure that absolute assurance in your heart that you have been born again? If not, don't keep putting it off because your heart's growing harder and harder every day that you do. But then for the remainder, which is the majority, if not all, are you continuing in God's word? Secondly, when we're talking to other people, are we faithful to have been instructed by our Lord Jesus Christ to have the same spirit that he had, to not be taken by the fear of man? Remember, the fear of man bringeth a snare. But... Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. To have the compassion that our Lord Jesus Christ had. Are you asking God to help you to grow in that compassion to witness to others? 
That's probably one of the greatest needs that's in this body here today, myself included, is that we need to ask God to increase our compassion for souls, to be more faithful in that matter of asking the questions and understanding that in doing so, we don't have to be ugly, hateful, rude, that we can do it in the same compassion that our Lord Jesus Christ did. But then secondly, Jesus was speaking to those that believed. As we come into contact with those that profess to be saved, we say, well, they're in such and such a church, such and such a church. They may still be saved. I was in such and such a church for many years, but I was saved by God's grace. I was already saved. One of the things that held me back was independent fundamental Baptist uh, because of the way they acted, the way they treated me. Uh, literally left me stranded, independent fundamental Baptist said, left me stranded on the side of a road at 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, I had my long hair and my cutoffs and all that. I looked very worldly, and I was, but I was saved. And the way that they would come down at me. And we need to understand, as Lord Jesus Christ shows here, that we need to be asking God to give us the com- not compromised heart, but the compassionate heart to our brothers and sisters in the Lord to be able to teach them, to encourage them, to instruct them in God's Word, that they could know God's Word, and that they could be free indeed and come to know the blessing of God. So are you continuing, are you growing in your own compassion of heart? And then are you faithful to be walking such a life that others see a life that is manifested? Texted verse this morning, several men. One that too often, it's from Psalm 118, that too often we take it as a common verse. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. You know, we take that, well, that's a common one. Problem is we don't live our lives as if that's the truth. So the world doesn't see what it means to be free indeed for their hearts to come under conviction. How is it in your life today? Are you faithful with God's word in your own life? And then are you faithful toward others with God's word?